Hello, everybody. I am a senior attorney at Greater Boston Legal Services, where I work in the quarry and reentry project with Pauline and Carrion. I am going to share my screen and get us started with a PowerPoint. So give me one second to do that. And also, if you have questions, feel free to just put them into the chat and we will try our best to get to them um, after the presentation. Um, Shanae, I'm having um, an issue sharing my screen. I don't think I have the privileges to do so. Shanae? Sorry, give me, yep, sorry, give me one moment. Okay. All right, you should have the co-host permissions. Um, if you're still unable to share your screen, I'll just share the PowerPoint. I think I'm all set now. Okay, so. I am going to, um, over one of the ways to fail your record, which is through the Commissioner Probation's Office. And then after I'm finished explaining that, Pauline is going to go over um, how to fail your records through a court hearing and other remedies, um, as such as expungement. So the Corey problem, the number of people with criminal records have reached epidemic proportions across the nation. As many as one in three people and over 100 million people have criminal arrest records on file in a state repository. And in Massachusetts, Massachusetts specifically, there are a number of racial disparities. The media and the government, they like to focus on Massachusetts having a lower incarceration rate than other states. Um, however, although Black and Latinx people are over 50% of those that are incarcerated in Massachusetts, they are only 17% of the Massachusetts population. And Blacks are only 7% of Massachusetts population, although they are 26% of those who we incarcerate in Massachusetts. So first, before you sale a record, there are a few things that we usually advise our clients to do. Um, so they should definitely get certified copies certify copies of the complaint, the docket before sealing in case they need them later. Sometimes um, if they're applying for a big national job um, sometime in the future, they may need copies of these sale charges because sealing in Massachusetts is for Massachusetts and there is no national sealing. And after you seal your cases, you can't just walk into the courthouse and get another copy. You would have to ask the court to unseal your charges, um, which, which requires a hearing. And then 
get the copies after and so it could be a process and that's why we recommend getting the appropriate copies that you need um, especially especially if you are not a citizen we usually advise clients who we meet who want to have their records sealed and who aren't citizens to first consult with an immigration attorney if possible and at minimum make sure they get certified copies of absolutely everything that they are seeking to sell so that when they need those um, copies for later adjusting their status, they will have those available to them. Another thing that you should be aware of um, before sailing is that there was two major drugs lab scandals, the Duke and then the Farrakh drugs drug lab <laughs> scandals and cpcs has a special unit to reopen drug convictions between 2003 and 2012 and that form is online if you know someone who may need to ask for help in regards to those scandals and also a good thing to note is that convictions or quaffs can be grounds for removal or deportation, as well as the loss of jobs and other opportunities. So if there is a chance that these convictions that you see on a client's record can be overturned, that would be a great help to them and their future. So how can you sell your quarry? There are two ways. The first, which is I'm going to explain in a little bit more detail, is through probation by mail after a seven-year waiting period for a felony and a three-year waiting period for a misdemeanor. There is no wait for decriminalized offenses. However, if, you, if your client has other charges on their quarry that is not yet eligible, they do not meet the waiting period, um, they will not be able to sell the decriminalized offenses on their record until everything on their record is eligible to be sealed through probation. The other way to sell your record is without a waiting period, and that does require a wait, uh, court hearing, and it's for specific cases that ended in a very specific way. So sealing through probation. This process is completely free and it involves filling out and mailing in the form to the Commissioner Probation's office. Um, we used to be able to hand deliver. I'm unsure if the offices are yet open due to COVID to the public. So definitely mail it in. The waiting period is three years for a misdemeanor and seven years for a felony. You wanna make sure that you're also using the newer form. Just recently, I've had some um, clients have their forms returned because they had um, just stored the older form for a number of years until they were eligible and they sent it in and they got it sent back. So you wanna make sure that you're using the most um, recent form that was produced so that you're not caught up in a backlog. Um, unfortunately, right now due to COVID, there is a two to three month wait once you send in the form to probation for them to process it. And also note that you cannot have any open cases in court. And if you're on probation, that means your case is open. So if, if you're just waiting for your probation to end, that's great, but you wanna make sure that probation has ended before you mail in the form so that they know that you are eligible to have your records sealed. And another thing to note is that the felony larceny threshold has recently increased. It used to be a $250 
um, means that you have a felony larceny charge. Now that is $1,200. So there are a number of cases that may be written out on a quarry as felony larceny, but they are actually, they should be treated as misdemeanors and you can get a copy of the docket um, and send that in along with the petition to sale if that applies to your client. And it should have that felony larceny charge actually sealed as a felony misdemeanor. And so you just wanna make sure you ask the client for the amount. And if they can remember, that's great, but if not, get a copy of the docket so that you know exactly how much it was. Sealing juvenile records. So don't forget that to seal juvenile records, um, it's really important for people who wanna pursue a career in childcare because they often are the ones who will do background checks, including your juvenile records. It's completely free and it's the same form that you use to seal adult records. You mail it to the Office of Commissioner Probation after three years um, for juvenile records. And it has to be three years from the day after the last case was closed. So this is the actual petition that you mail into the Commissioner Operations Office. Um, as you can see right at the top, it has the address where you mail it into. And then underneath there, there are four boxes. Um, one, two, three, four. The first is to sell delinquency charges after three years or juvenile charges. The second is to sell misdemeanor charges after a three-year waiting period. The third is to sell felony charges after a seven-year waiting period. And the fourth is for offenses that are no longer a crime in Massachusetts. And so if you're unsure or if your client's unsure if all of them apply or if none of them apply, you just go ahead and check off all of the boxes. Um, there is no penalty because they will look up each person who's trying to save their records record individually so they know what's eligible and what's not. And then right underneath that, there is a number of demographic fields. Um, one that you should really pay attention to is this a security number because it's asking for the full social, not the last four or the last six. Right underneath that is a place for you, the client to sign. And then there is um, three more boxes underneath that with little affidavits about why you think that you are eligible to sell your record. The first box that you would check and then sign the paragraph underneath is for if you're sealing juvenile records. And then the second and third boxes are if you are sealing adult records, you check those off and sign as well. So at minimum, if you're filling out this form, you're signing it at least twice for for to sell adult charges. And then if you're selling juvenile charges, you're gonna sign this form three times. So let's go over a little bit about how waiting periods work, starting the quarry clock. For any conviction, the waiting period starts from the date that you were found guilty or released from incarceration, whichever is later, okay? So that means if you were convicted on X date, but then you served a five-year sentence, the Cory clock for you is gonna start on the date that you were released from that five-year sentence.
So here's another example. Joe was found guilty of a misdemeanor on May 4th, 2020, which has a three-year waiting period. He was then on probation for a year and the case was closed on May 4th, 2021. He can sell the case by mail on May 4th, 2023, because that's three years after he was found guilty. That period of probation doesn't um, weigh on when the waiting period starts. Again, it's from the date of the conviction or release from incarceration. Um, and another thing to note is that special there are special waiting periods. Some convictions have no waiting, have longer waiting periods. Sorry, some convictions have longer waiting periods. Abuse prevention and harass prevention order conviction um, are exceptions. So convictions for violation of abuse prevention and harassment prevention orders, they are treated as felonies for purposes of sealing and they have a seven year waiting period. So they may show up as a misdemeanor on someone's quarry, but they are actually treated as felonies for sealing purposes. And another thing to note is that sex offense convictions um, cannot be sealed until 15 years after the very last event in the case, including the end of any period of supervision, probation, parole, or release from incarceration. So that means that if they are in the registry, they have to be off of the registry first. And then it also has to be 15 years from the last event in the case, including probation. So there is different levels of sex offender um, status. So there are persons in the sex offender registry who are presently, regi presently registered as a sex offender. Um, they are no longer, they are not permitted to sell any sex offense conviction as long as they are on the registry. They can sell other types of cases that are on their quarry and are eligible to be sealed, but if they are on the registry, they cannot sell the sex event offense conviction. Um, there are level one status and there's no, they're no longer in the registry. So that means that they can sell um, all of their cases once that 15 year um, wait hits for the sex offense convictions. And then unfortunately the level two, the level two and level three sector sex offender status, if you ever register as a level two or level three, they can never seal convictions for certain sex offenses. Um, however, there was a case, um, SJC cold case, where they did rule that it can be unconstitutional to apply this blanket, um, never sale conviction rule to sex offenders as individuals. And so you may be able to argue that the law as applied to you is unconstitutional. It is a hard bar, but that is something um, that we can help you with if you are dealing with a client in this situation. Are also never saleable offenses. There is a conviction of um, any person for a crime against public justice. So, what are those types of crimes? The ones we see most often are witness intimidation or escape from jail, and that can never be sealed. There are also other public justice crimes and state ethics and conflicts of interest offenses, and that's like bribing a public official, you know, related to someone in the office trying to fix. 
um, who gets contracts, things like that. So we don't see those too often, but they are never saleable offenses. It is important to note that in 2018, resisting arrest convictions are now saleable. They used to be never saleable convictions. And so that's really great for a lot of people who have resisting arrest convictions on their record. There are some firearm convictions and convictions for violations of the state ethics and conflicts of interest laws, like I mentioned before, um, that are also never saleable. And then even if you have a conviction that can never be sailed, you can sail the other charges on your quarry that are eligible. And then if you, and this is, this never saleable offense list is only for convictions. If you have um, dismissed witness intimidation or escape from jail, those can be sailed. So these never saleable offenses are only convictions that can never be sailed. Um, so I, I think I'm going to stop sharing my screen and let Pauline take over for the next portion of our presentation. Yes, so Pauline is going to start. Okay. Um. Hold on, let me look at the chat. I think there are some questions. Okay, just this in the presentation. All right, go ahead, Pauline. Okay, I'm just uh, scrolling along, so just be patient with me here. Okay, hi everybody, I'm Pauline Curie and I also work at Greater Boston Legal Services in the Corey and Rianchi Project. And so I'm gonna cover uh, the sealing of cases through the court process and also um, right to expunge uh, a criminal offense. Um, Basically, in terms of cases that are that can be sealed through the court process, a, a judge has a very limited power to seal criminal cases. Um, judges can't uh, seal most convictions. Uh, what a judge can seal, however, is any case where a person is found not guilty, any case that was dismissed, or any case that, that ended in a null process, meaning that the case was was dropped by the district attorney's office. And there's one exception for convictions. Uh, as a general principle, judges can't seal convictions, but they can seal a first time drug possession conviction where the person didn't violate any conditions of probation or, or um, other conditions that were, were uh, placed on the sentence related to the conviction. So that, that's something to keep in mind. Um, however, if a person has a uh, drug possession and drug distribution, it's only going to be the first time drug possession that you're going to be able to seal using the statute. The court process is pretty straightforward, fairly simple, like sealing through the administrative process by mail, sealing cases in court is free. Uh, it's governed by Chapter 276, Section 100C, and it's fairly simple. It involves filing a petition to seal and going to court for one or two hearings. And when we're talking about sealing cases, sealing is limited to district court cases, superior court cases, and Boston Municipal Court uh, cases. You can't seal cases from out of state. You can't seal federal court cases. A lot of times we'll have clients asking us um, about that. 
And then what you're going to file in court will be a petition to seal uh, in the court that handled the case. Um, there is one exception, however. Uh, for example, if I had a case in the Worcester District Court and I wanted to seal it, I filed a petition in the Worcester District Court. Um, the Boston Municipal Court has a special standing order. There are basically eight uh, Boston Municipal Court uh, courthouses, you know, Dorchester, Roxbury, East Boston, uh, Charlestown, South Boston, Brighton, and I, I may be omitting one of them, but uh, pretty much, um, you know, if you've got a case that's in the Boston Municipal Court and uh, you see that the client also has cases from another division of the BMC, then you could put them all on one petition, which is a real time saver as opposed to going to each and every court. And so typically, if, if we can consolidate cases, we do. However, if you're dealing with a client and let's say the person has 50 or 60 offenses, um, you know, you're, you're gonna need to get the docket sheets from the other divisions. So for example, if I'm filing a petition in the Roxbury court, and I'm also gonna be sealing cases that are from Dorchester or BMC Central or Brighton, uh, I'm gonna need to get those docket sheets. So it's a lot of legwork running around to get all of those docket sheets. And the other thing you have to think about is it may give some judge, judges pause to um, seal a very extremely large number of cases without having the full case file there because you, you'll, you'll have the docket sheets where you provide, you, you may or may not have the police report. So it, it is something to keep in mind, but if it's just two or three other uh, charges or it's, it's, it's a limited number, um, then um, you, know, it's, you definitely should seriously consider doing the, using the, the standing order and consolidating the matters. I think the most we've sealed in, in one court is 135. Um, but I can remember the judge looking exhausted after the judge went through the, the big pile of cases. But we, we can you can call us and we're happy to chat with you about strategy in terms of the particular courts. Um, we always write an affidavit for a, a client which, which tells their story uh, in a sympathetic way to the court and explaining why it is they want to seal the records. And sometimes clients uh, have support letters they may have received certificates from a training program or they've got other favorable documents. So if there's favorable material, we will staple it on to the affidavit. Um, and this is the petition form. Oh, really quickly, Pauline, I'm sorry to cut you off, um, but I don't believe you're sharing your screen right now. So I don't think they can see the um, presentation. Oh. oh, gee, it's funny, it's coming up on my screen, so. Okay, did you Let need me... me to share it for you? Um, yeah, if you want to, if you want to just pull it up easily, I don't know what I did wrong because uh, it's right on my screen. So I'm going to have to. It's pretty distracting, so I'm going to. No worries. You still can't see it. No, we still can't see it. Give me one second. Okay. No, I, I could try to pull it up again. Uh, people can bear with me for one more second. Shanae, why don't, why don't I give that a try? Hold on one second here. All righty. Okay, here we are. We can see your screen now. 
Okay, but you know, I'm not seeing, oh, here, now it's coming up. So I'm not seeing my screen, so. All right. So sorry about that. And, and thank you, uh, Shanae, for pointing it out because I would have never known because it was just showing up on, on my screen. So this is what a ceiling petition looks like. Uh, we often handwrite these petitions, um, but you, you can also type them. It's, uh, you know, what, whatever is easier for you. Um, and it calls for some basic information such as, you know, which you check off which court um, the case is being filed in, what county or division, uh, person's name and address, telephone number. And it also calls for what's called a PCF number. And as Ventura mentioned, um, you know, if you get a, if you get a Corey report, it, it will often have a, a, a PCF number on it. Um, and it's right on the bottom. So you'll fill that in. Um, but it's not fatal if it's missing. Um, and pretty much probation will help track it down. And so you're gonna list the docket number and then you'll list the offense or charge. So for example, if it was um, larceny, I would put larceny if it was assault and battery with a deadly weapon. And then the, the disposition date is the date it wrapped up. So you know, if it was dismissed on January 13th, uh, 1999, I would insert that date and the, the disposition, you just write in what, what happened with the case. So if it was dismissed or it was not processed or the person was found not guilty, you're going to insert that right there. And then um, a little further down, it, it, it has a blank for you to fill out um, stating the reason why you're seeking to seal the records. And we don't get into a lot of specific details. We say enough so that we can make a prima facie case for sealing, but we don't put all the details you know, on the petition because it's a practical matter. These petitions uh, under case law have to be posted in the, the hallway of the, of the courthouse near the clerk's office. So you don't want something publicly posted saying that your, your client has a drug problem or they're now rehabilitated because they no longer use, use substances and the offenses occurred during a period of time, uh, you know, when they were at the height of their addiction. And so in general, what we'll generally write as a, as a reason for sealing is, you know, my criminal record puts me at a disadvantage in applying for jobs, housing, and other opportunities. And uh, that's sort of consistent with the case law on criminal record sealing. There is um, a case called Commonwealth versus Pawn, and we'll talk about that in more detail, uh, which set forth the legal standard for, for sealing. And then this is a second page. As I mentioned before, um, you um, you can put 
as many cases as you have um, on the petition, um, if you want to go ahead, if they're all in one place, because um, the judge will have all of the files, I wouldn't be shy about loading it up and, like I said, putting all of the, um, the, the listing all the charges and doing it all in one hearing. But it's only when you're doing, you're using that standing order and you're you're also trying to seal uh, charges from other courts. Um, it, it can be somewhat burdensome for the for the judge. And as I mentioned before, they may be a little hung up that they don't have all they have are the docket sheets you're providing them. They don't have the full file. And as I as I mentioned before, you're going to have one or two hearings, um, and some courts may require a, a preliminary hearing, which is the first hearing, and then a second final hearing. So I think with COVID, a lot of the courts have moved toward just having one hearing and not having two hearings just because um, they've been trying to be more efficient with how they schedule cases um, in, in light of the, the pandemic. And uh, what happened was, uh, I won't belabor the point, but there's some old case law from before where actually the, the ceiling statute had been held unconstitutional and uh, the, the court found that there was a required constitutional balloting test. Um, and what happened was more, more recently in Commonwealth versus uh, Pawn in 2014 was, was a case, was an appeal that we had brought. Um, the SJC actually revisited the legal standard and reversed that old case. So, uh, and then they also addressed the issue of whether you needed one or, or two cases. Under the old case law, uh, uh, the courts weren't required to have two hearings, but that was dictated to the effect that the good practice was to have a preliminary hearing to make sure somebody makes a prima facie case. And then only would you have a second hearing and then the petition would be posted for at least seven days before that second hearing. Uh, so in, Commonwealth versus Pawn, the SJC sanctioned use of one hearing process, but they also said courts could do the, a two hearing process if they wanted to. So depending on where you go, it may be one hearing, it may be two hearings. Most of the time in, the, in Suffolk County, it's going to be one hearing. But you, you can just check with the clerk's office. And as I mentioned before, there is that public posting. So it, it's something to be aware of. Um, when you are filing a petition as to what you put on the petition itself. And we'll, could, because we always file an affidavit that accompanies the petition, we can make all of the arguments that we wanna make about why the, the record should be sealed through the affidavit as well as through oral arguments. So we, we don't uh, put that detailed information in the petition. Um, and the posting time may be longer. The case law says it has to be at least seven days. Um, in Dorchester, for example, they post it for 30 days. Um, in other places, they'll tell you it's 10 days. But the, the, in terms of the case law, the actual requirement is only a minimum of, of seven days. And then the legal standard to seal criminal records was greatly sim simplified in Commonwealth versus Pond. Um, what we were dealing with before the 2014 ruling was we had old case law from the old um, Doe case that said rarely should judges seal criminal records. Uh, and it was a really an onerous burden on 
individuals trying to seal their cases. A lot of the case law that developed was during the heyday of the war on drugs and those prior tough on crime philosophies um, from, from many decades ago. So con, con, the, the Pond case is a terrific case, which gives us guidance on what we uh, need to prove in terms of, of, of sealing records. And the other thing that's really excellent about the Pawn case, I'm sorry about that, my thing sticking, keeps uh, skipping around. Uh, in, 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 in Commonwealth versus Pawn, the SJC said there's a compelling governmental interest in reducing recidivism, facilitating reintegration and ensuring self-sufficiency by promoting employment and housing opportunities for former defendants. So that means if somebody's on public assistance, that's another compelling reason why the court should seal the record. Not only does it benefit the individual, it, it, it also uh, benefits the Commonwealth. And the SJC also said that the, the, there's a compelling state interest in, in, in parents being able to support their children. And the, the burden of proof basically is good cause which means, um, you know, if you, you would meet the good cause standard, for example, if you've already been rejected for an opportunity to get housing or employment um, or something else that you're interested in applying for. Um, however, uh, you can also, you also can meet the, the good cause threshold by showing there's a foreseeable disadvantage that stems uh, from your, from having uh, criminal records on your Corey report. And so the court uh, in, in Pond laid out a lot of factors to consider, you know, the risk of unemployment, underemployment, housing problems, um, risk of homelessness, use of Corey by employers or licensors in one, one's occupation. You know, there are a lot of occupations where running a Corey is actually mandatory. Like if you wanted to work in the childcare field or you wanted to work in a nursing home, and, uh, you know, because and pretty much, uh, you know, particularly after 9-11, background checks are very routine, even for places that, that um, don't necessarily even deal with a lot of the public. Um, and even where somebody may have minimal contact, contact with members of the public. And as I mentioned before, um, receipt of public assistance, um, denial of your, um, or an impeded ability to do volunteer work or uh, participate in your child's uh, school activities. They run quarries now on parents who wanna be go on school trips. Um, the amount of time since the offense and obviously the, the more time that's passed, the better in terms of making a good impression on the judge. The sobriety and the rehabilitation efforts of a petitioner, uh, self-improvement efforts or community contributions and uh, successful completion of probation also is a listed factor. Um, another factor that the SJC articulated was stigma or stereotypes attached to the particular offense um, if the defendant no longer poses a threat to the community. And, you know, there are a lot of racial stereotypes. There was a, a study that, uh, that came out from Harvard, uh, which was issued at the request of uh, the late Chief Justice Gantz, which showed that 
racism permeates the criminal justice system. So you can make an argument that basically uh, by keeping this on the record, it's going to affect your client's interactions with police. And if you're representing a person of color, they're going to be more likely to get arrested um, or to be stopped by police, even for no reason. And the court's also going to look at the the reason for the disposition. So obviously, if you have a no, not guilty finding, um, that's going to be ideal. So we, when you're in the courtroom after they call the case uh, and you go up with your client and see a judge, and most hearings nowadays, uh, for a while we were doing hearings by Zoom, but a lot of the courts now requiring us to go in person in court um, to the particular courthouse and have an in-person hearing. Um, the judge is going to have what's called a carry report, which uh, is the equivalent of, a, of an enhanced Corey report. A Corey report lists all your criminal offenses that have happened in Massachusetts um, that haven't been sealed yet. A carry report will list all of your criminal cases, but it also will list any past and, and present restraining order and 209A hearings that have happened or criminal harassment uh, orders that have entered against the client. And it'll also include um, the juvenile record of the, the individual. Um, so the, the judge is gonna have that report. Probation routinely runs it for the judge. So you have to keep that in mind. So procedurally, what we sometimes do is we will try to, if we see somebody's got a long record, let's say you know we can seal 90% of it by mail, We'll go ahead, we'll mail in the form. Um, and that now takes about 90 days for them to process. Um, and so once those, those records are sealed, the, the, the client's record's gonna be a lot shorter. Then we'll do the, the filing of the 100C petition with the court. Um, and that way, when the judge has the report, it's gonna be shorter than it would be um, had we not sealed those cases. And there's uh, under, under uh, section 100A of chapter 276, once a record has been sealed, it, it can't be considered um, you know, at a sealing hearing or in any civil proceeding um, with the exception of 209A hearings or criminal harassment hearings, but you know, they can't use it. They, they all, judges also could use a sealed case and get access to it for purposes of sentencing a person um, on a subsequent criminal offense. But, you know, in terms of the, the sealed records, um, they're not admissible, um, you know, at a, a sealing hearing or any other kind of hearing with those narrow exceptions. Um, and it's not unusual for prosecutors not to, to agree to a sealing or to not assent. And occasionally um, they will also object, particularly if the offense involved violence so, um, so you have to keep that in, in mind. Um, and then the order, once you're, whether you're successful or un, if, if the order, if you're successful, the order is gonna need to be signed both by the judge and also the, the local chief of probation at the courthouse. And then it's mailed to the commissioner uh, downtown. So it takes a couple of weeks to process. Um, if you lose your hearing, um, you have 30 days where you can file a motion to reconsider and we find sometimes we're successful on those motions. Um, and then if you still lose or you decide you don't wanna bother with a motion to reconsider because you don't think the judge is going to change their ruling, 
you've got 30 days to file a notice of appeal. Um, the good thing about record sealing cases as opposed to other kinds of cases um, that lawyers do is, you know, if you lose, it doesn't bar you from um, refiling at a future time. So we might lose on a case. And particularly if we think we got a judge who's kind of harsh and most other judges might be more amenable, you know, we might not bother to appeal it because the appeals process is, is rather slow. So it might be easier just to wait six or seven months and um, hopefully get another judge and, and um, deal with it in that way. There are still uh, COVID standing orders and procedures in place. Um, the courts periodically update them and reissue the standing orders. Uh, we've included the, the statewide court helpline number. So if you have questions uh, or you're having trouble figuring out uh, you know, what, what standing order applies, you, you can uh, give the court a call. Um, suffice it to say that the, the most recent uh, COVID-19 standing orders uh, basically said that certain hearings should be in person, which include record stealing hearings and also chapter 209A restraining order hearings. However, if you've got a medical condition or your client has a medical condition and uh, hasn't received a booster shot, you could file a motion to get a Zoom hearing um, because uh, I think most courts across the Commonwealth uh, were conducting Zoom hearings on, on ceiling cases until more recently. In addition to sealing, what you also have in your toolbox is uh, the right of expungement. And expungement differs from sealing in that if you expunge a record, it means all the records get destroyed. So um, expungement is much better um, than sealing in most instances uh, because sealing just limits who has access. And there are different degrees of Cori access depending on the type of job or the entity that's uh, seeking to look at the record. Law enforcement, for example, always gets records, gets access to records, even if they're sealed. Um, if they're expunged, however, the records are destroyed. So then that would stop the, the law enforcement access to those records. Um, there are some scenarios though, even though the remedy is available, it may not be a good idea for your client to go ahead and expunge those records. Uh, if a person is not a citizen, um, in general, it's not a good idea to ex expunge the records because they may be needed for the immigration case at, at some point in time. With sealing of records, um, you know, we generally advise uh, clients always to get a certified copy so they don't have to go in and file a motion to unseal it or contact probation to unseal it. But with expungement, the records actually disappear, which could be a, which could be a problem. For example, you know, if you are not a citizen and you want to apply for citizenship and you had some case and, it, you know, you were acquitted or ended in just a straight dismissal, um, it has a status that's not going to impede you from, from getting a green card or becoming a citizen. Um, uh, you know, that, that's a different scenario than 
um, you know, if, if you're found guilty. But either way, let's say you destroy all the records um, and then you can't find the piece of paper, your certified copy, and somehow ICE finds out that you had this criminal case. If you expunge all the records, you're not going to be able to prove that, you know, the case ended in your favor. So in general, we don't um, expunge any cases, at least at GBLS, for, for anybody who is not a citizen um, and, um, you know, doesn't have a green card in particular. Um, and then the other, the other category of cases that you need to inquire about is uh, are cases that were, that were dismissed with prejudice because of the Annie Dukin on the Sonia Farrakh drug scandal. That, that was a situation where the SJC actually threw out over 25,000 cases in, in, in uh, 2017. Um, so if you have um, a case that's an Annie Dukin case or a Sonia Farrakh case, um, which, which you need to make sure with your client before you try to expunge it is that they've gotten their money back because they, there are lawsuits that can be filed, there are motions that can be filed with the court to get back the probation fees that were paid in the case or other expenses. So um, you don't want to expunge then because if you expunge all the records, you're going to destroy the records of payment. Um, and that's going to put your client in a, in a bad situation. Um, and if you do decide to expunge records, um, and this is also a good practice, even when you're just sealing records, is to get certified copies of docket sheets. Um, and I suggest getting more than one certified copy because the client may need it in more than one instant, particularly if it's a young person just starting their career and they've got years of employment uh, ahead of them. So, um, so it's gonna be important to get those certified copies. And then the, the general principle to remember is that, you know, once you expunge the record, you can't go to the police department or the courthouse um, or other places to get some of those official court records relating to the criminal offense. Um, so that's why getting the certified copies is so important. Um, the other thing uh, folks should know is uh, in addition to all the records that exist in Massachusetts at the police department or at the courthouse or with DYS or criminal justice agencies, the FBI also may have records related to your client's cases. And so what that, what that means is um, that the, the uh, let's say somebody goes ahead and they expunge the records and they're, uh, you know, they're not a citizen, um, but they're in the FBI database. So that's going to cause a lot of problems if you don't have those certified copies. So we have to be careful when we're expunging records to make sure that the client in the end isn't going to be a lot worse off because we expunge their criminal records instead of sealing them. And with unsealing cases, by the way, um, you can file a motion with the court to unseal cases, but you can, there's now an easier method. You can contact the commissioner of probation's office and they'll have your client sign a statement saying they want the cases unsealed and they'll go ahead and administratively um, and unseal offenses, which, which makes it a lot easier. Uh, in 2018, we got for the first time a new expungement law uh, before 2018, we had no 
uh, expungement statute, and there were only a few exceptions that were created by the SJC and the appeals court where someone could actually get expungement relief and expunge their criminal cases. Uh, under the current law, there's uh, two broad categories uh, for expungement. Uh, there's sections 100F to 100H of chapter 276. And these provisions only apply to offenses that occurred before age 21. Um, and they apply to juvenile court cases, but also adult court cases if the person was under 21 at the time. And then there's a second broad category, which is Section 100K expungement, which applies both to adult and juvenile cases. There aren't any age restrictions as to when the offense occurred, but it's limited basically to six categories involving essentially miscarriages of justice and uh, decriminalized cases. So for the, the juvenile court and the under 21 um, expungement cases, um, there's no fee to file for expungement. Um, and if you're filing for expungement under uh, these sections 100F through 100F, you don't file the expungement petition at the courthouse. You're gonna be filing with the commissioner of probation at one Ashburton place. Um, and just so you should know that the expungement law uh, is, is really difficult to access in terms of getting relief for your client. There are lots of requirements. There are many exclusions. Um, basically, the, the, the person can only have two cases on their record in the juvenile court or the adult court uh, that were committed when they were under 21 at the time of the offense. And there's, there's also a waiting period. It's seven years for a felony, it's three years for a misdemeanor, and there are tons and tons of exclusions. So for example, any offense involving interpersonal violence that was a, a felony, uh, that's going to be excluded. So there, there are it's, it's rare when we see a client at GBLS who's actually eligible for, the, for this type of um, expungement. And uh, one, of, one of the criteria is in terms of applying for expungement is you're not eligible to expunge if you're under active criminal investigation, that's a head scratcher. We don't know how we, anybody would figure out they were, they were under investigation. And then, if, but if you do get through all the hurdles and um, you know you are eligible for expungement, there's a screening process. So if the probation department, when they get it, finds you're technically eligible, um, you know you may get a court hearing on the petition itself. You have to request a hearing if you want to get a hearing. Otherwise, it's going to be up to the court. And then the court can um, grant or deny the petition based on what's called the best interest of judge of justice. So they're going to look at the circumstances of the case. And as I mentioned before, tons of exclusions, anything involving serious violence, crimes against the elderly or children, um, and even misdemeanor um, assault and battery cases if they involved family members. Um, and the, the thing to keep in mind is um, even dismissals for these charges um, can be ineligible. Oops. 
Okay, and this is what the juvenile petition looks like. Um, one, one good thing about it is you don't have to list all the docket numbers, um, but you, you do have to have the client sign it um, and then just fill, uh, fill out the demographic information and then file it with probation. The other type of expungement, which we use much more frequently is section 100K expungement, which as I mentioned, applies not just to adult cases, but it's juvenile cases. Um, again, there's no fee. The petition is filed with the court that handled the case. So it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's similar to sealing through the court process and you just have to go back to the place where the case occurred. Um, there is gonna be a court hearing if either you as the petitioner requested or the DA asked for a hearing. Um, and there's no waiting periods whatsoever and you can file as many expungement petitions as you want. It's not just limited to, to a few cases. Um, and the, the, what, what can be uh, a problem that we found in practice with some judges, because the law is new, a court has discretion to expunge offenses based on what, what is in the best interest of justice, quote unquote. Um, assuming that um, the person qualifies under the, the six types of conduct and is eligible. Um, but the best interest of justice is not defined under the new law. So there are some, some cases that are, um, that are pending um, in the SJC now. So we hope to have some, a, a decision that um, elaborates on what that term means. But to, but to get your foot in the door to begin with, um, you can you can expunge under Section 100 Gay if somebody used your identity, used a fake name, they didn't give their name, they used your name, um, and there was some kind of false or unauthorized use use of your identity. So then you can expunge, you know, the offenses related to that uh, those misrepresentations. Um, if you have a decriminalized offense such as marijuana possession, um, which is two ounces or less, um, that's expungible. And I have a, a case currently pending in the SJC where we had a, uh, a judge who just doesn't believe in expungement. So even though the DA's office had, had affirmatively assented to the expungement, the judge found it was not in the best interest of, ju of justice. So hopefully we will get a positive decision on that case. Um, and there may be other decriminalized offenses, um, being in the presence of heroin. Um, occasionally we see old paternity cases, fathering a child outside of marriage before 80, 1987 actually used to be a crime. So sometimes you see some of these other offenses um, when you get somebody's courier report. And one way to flag it is when you get the courier report, it'll list all the offenses. And then under civil, it may list the marijuana offense or whatever the other decriminalized offense is right on the, on the report. Um, a third category where you can expunge records are demonstrable errors by law enforcement. So if there was no probable cause to um, file the criminal complaint or, you know, they just, uh, picked up the wrong person. I can think of clients I've had in the past. They, they happened to be uh, um, a person of color who was in the vicinity. 
And so they had nothing to do with the crime and it just was uh, some kind of law enforcement error. Um, so I, I think if there's racial animus or there's other misconduct, you know, there may be, there may be cases where you could bring an expungement petition to address the, the bogus case that, that got filed. Other things are demonstrable errors by witnesses and the statute says civilian or expert. So for, for expert witnesses, automatically we think of Annie Dukin or Sonia Farrakh, all of those cases um, are potentially expungible. So um, you, know, you, you can pursue expungement of, of those matters as well. Um, but it could be that maybe somebody made a misidentification, maybe they were intoxicated at the time. Um, uh, these are gonna be very fact-based distinctions. Obviously it's easiest to expunge under the first two categories, a decriminalized offense or somebody using a, a doing a, a, an impersonation of another person or, or a case involving identity fraud. And then there's another category of demonstrable errors by court employees. Um, before the statute was passed, it was actually a case that went to the appeals court. It involved the, the Dorchester court where the police filed a complaint against somebody with a common name. And because the, um, there was somebody with the same name already in the database, they issued the complaint against the wrong criminal defendant. So in that instance, the, the appeals court said that the person um, you know, could expunge the record and basically when the, the expungement statute passed, it codified that exception. So if there's some kind of error of, of that nature, then um, you're going to be able to expunge the record. And then the last category for expungement is demonstrable fraud perpetrated on the court. Um, fraud perpetrated on the court is basically a, a term of art. Um, so there's a whole body of case law that says that, you know, garden variety lying or admission isn't enough to prove fraud on the court. Um, and we don't, we're sort of um, driving in the dark right now in terms of the expungement statute and then we don't have any case law on this. So when you're thinking about expunging records or using the law, you can try to be creative and figure out ways you, you might be able to uh, uh, push the envelope. Uh, but there are just are these negative cases that are that are out there, just so you know, in terms of trying to use that last ground. Um, pretty much, um, you know, when in doubt, I think if, if it was uh, if, if it was if it was some kind of revenge situation that somebody fraudulently gave somebody's name to make sure um, that they would be punished through the court system, that arguably is fraud perpetrated on the court. You could also say it's a witness error um, because it's some kind of mis maybe mistaken judgment. Um, but as I said, we're, we're sort of just paving the way. So you can try to stretch things uh, obviously within reason because you don't, you want to make sure, uh, you know, the judge um, doesn't think you're, you're not credible because you, you sort of have overinterpreted the this, this statute. And then this is, um, this is what an expungement petition looks like. Um, it has a room at the top for the docket number. You list the court um, and then you have to list the grounds. 
And if you're requesting a hearing, you check off the box. If you're filing other paperwork um, with the petition, you should also be checking the box. And then unlike the sealing petition, it has uh, uh, an area where you have to list the date you serve the, the district attorney's office. So it's got a, a few more requirements that you would have um, under the sealing statute. Okay, and then once you've expunged your, meaning you've gotten an expungement order from a judge, um, what's gonna happen next um, is the order uh, is going to be sent to the FBI with a request that they expunge the records of the same case. There's also a provision in the statute when you seal that they're supposed to send it to the FBI and also request that they also seal their records. The FBI doesn't have to do anything it doesn't want to do. Same with the Department of Justice um, because they're, or they are a federal agency, they're not a state agency. Um, but they, they are known to actually expunge their records. It's gonna probably depend on the nature of the offense. And after you expunge a record for a client, the person is permitted to say they have no record after expungement. Similar to sealing, once you seal your record, you can also say you have no record when you're applying for employment or housing, or let's say uh, um, an occupational license. Um, the expungement statute is, is, is more detailed than the sealing statute, and it specifies that if, if once your record is expunged, you can never be held to be guilty of perjury or giving a false statement due to a failure to, to acknowledge the record in response to any inquiry made for any purpose. And as I mentioned, sometimes people will find out um, that there is a record out there because um, there was media coverage of the case. And by the way, if, if your case was covered by the Boston Globe, they now have an in, they have um, an internal procedure where you could actually request that they um, take your um, petition off. And as I mentioned, um, you have rights after sealing, and what what also happens is. Um, the clerk's office, if you go to the clerk's office after some, a case is sealed, unless you're a member of law enforcement, they're going to say that there are no records um, once you've sealed the records. Um, so there are some, some built-in protections right there, even if you seal rather than expunging the records. Um, as I mentioned before, there are various levels of uh, Corey access, and I'm, I'm trying to go over a lot of material uh, fairly quickly, so you, you're not kept here all day. But suffice it to say, there there are, are there's a range of categories of um, Corey access, and criminal justice agencies have the greatest access. So if if records are sealed, um, police, probation, um, DA's offices, they can actually get access to um, sealed criminal records. And the same with the Department of Early Education and Care, which licenses um, child care programs or, um, or, or um, preschool programs. Basically, a lot of programs having to do with children who were like under six years old, 
early education programs. Um, and they're going to be able to see those records. So somebody is going to be a bus driver or something. Um, they're going to, the, the employer is going to know that they have a record because the check will be done by the Department of Early Education and Care. Um, Department of Youth Services and DCF has access to um, your sealed records if you try to adopt to become a foster parent. Um, juvenile records, and um, as I mentioned before, and, and adult records can be considered at a later time if you're found guilty in a later criminal case. So if um, I seal all of my records and um, you know, two years later, I'm prosecuted and I'm found guilty and then uh, the judge is sentencing me, the judge can review my uh, sealed records and consider those sealed records in terms of the, the penalty that's going to be imposed. Um, as I mentioned before, the good thing about sealing is um, most of the time, um, the records are not gonna be admissible in terms of other litigation, but there is an exception. And if there's a probate family court proceeding involving child custody, um, or there's a restraining order, uh, the, a judge can um, review the sealed records if they're found relevant um, you know, to the, the safety issue of the party or the child custody proceeding. Um, with expunged records, that's the best scenario. Um, the, you know, the, the records are no longer going to exist, um, but you know, they just keep in mind that um, even though the request was sent to the FBI, you, if you really want to find out what happened, you're going to have to uh, contact them. Um, and just briefly, and then we're, we'll have some time to also answer any questions. There is some federal law that governs uh, employment and discrimination so that the, um, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, has issued um, written guidance on use of criminal records. And essentially, um, if, if an employer has a blanket policy against ever hiring a person who has any kind of criminal record, that's deemed to be discriminatory because it, it has a disparate impact in your greater uh, effect on, on, on people of color and, and from racial minority groups. And any kind of like blanket policy like that is, is deemed to, to um, violate Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, unless basically the employer can show there's a, a business necessity um, uh, that's involved um, regarding the particular position, or there's a particular law that makes a, a person ineligible um, for the position. For example, if, if somebody um, applied for a job and their record wasn't sealed and they wanted to be a driving instructor, they would be barred from, from that employment. So it wouldn't be discriminatory for the employer not to, um, to um, hire the, the particular individual. And the EEOC guidance, which is interesting to read, particularly for those of you who are in employment lawyers, you're probably familiar with it. Uh, the EEOC cautions employers that they should use an individualized assessment that considers the age of the offense, the seriousness of the offense, and the relationship between the type of offense and the, and the job. And there's a lot of good information on the um, EEOC website if you're interested in this topic. Um, we have some 
some uh, great legislation that's pending. And if, if any of this legislation passes, it's gonna be good news for our clients. Um, there is a bill, uh, H1908, Senate 932, which would provide for certificates of rehabilitation. And basically a person could apply for one of those certificates from the, from the court where they, were, uh, they received a conviction. And if allowed by a judge, it can remove the disqualification. So let's say we have a scenario, um, I'm an individual and it's been you know, three years since I've been was released from um, incarceration and um, I have a felony conviction. So I've got another four years to wait, but I'm homeless, but I'm doing great. I've completed all these programs. Um, you know, I, I've, you know, haven't had any subsequent involvement with the court system. It would enable me to apply for one of these certificates regarding the uh, particular conviction that makes me ineligible for housing or a particular job. So it removes some of these disqualifications. Um, and particularly um, with record sealing, as Ventura mentioned, you know, there are those never sealable um, public justice crimes, and there's over a hundred of them, everything from witness intimidation to um, uh, escape from incarceration. There, there are a lot of them, and some of them are not particularly major offenses. Um, these disqualifications are really from the, the last century. With the last criminal legal reform, we didn't think we could pull off getting all of them excluded in terms of the the legislative sponsors that we were working with. So we repealed the, the big one, which was the resisting arrest, but there's still a lot of them on the books and they are a real problem with people. So if you've got a never sealable offense and you get a rehabilitation certificate, it also permits you to then seal your, um, your, your, your never sealable offense using the 100A process. So that's going to solve a lot of problems for a lot of folks there. Um, and it's got other provisions as well, but we don't have time to get into the details. Well, then we have another bill pending, which would make um, record sealing easier. Places like Pennsylvania, they have automatic sealing. So once your case is old enough, the computer just automatically seals it. So there's legislation pending to move to an automated process. So we wouldn't have to be keeping track of all these dates and then sending in the piece of paper with the signature to, um, to seal the record. It would, it would really make it easier because a lot of the clients we see, we see them after it's much too late, they've already been denied the opportunity when they're sealing. And then we have uh, a third one. This is one of my favorites as well. Uh, this one would uh, protect the presumption of innocence, uh, meaning that on Corey reports to CJIS would include a disclaimer that says, if somebody hasn't been con convicted, there is a presumption of innocence in the law. And the good thing about uh, this bill in particular is it provides for um, immediate sealing at the time of the dismissal of the not prof or the not guilty finding. So essentially we put ourselves out of business in terms of doing the sealing that we currently spend a lot of time doing under section 100C. Uh, we have another bill, uh, H1904, which would um, make it easier to um, expunge the cannabis, the decriminalized cannabis offenses. Um, as I mentioned, we are actually 
we pursued a case which is now pending in the SJC um, because judges just didn't like decriminalization of marijuana, I think, to begin with, and just didn't like the statute, whereas this would basically make it automatic. Uh, we've got another bill pending. So for somebody who got convicted, but they were a survivor of trafficking or domestic abuse um, and, and committed the offenses basically under duress or because of pressure exerted by um, the person trafficking them or abusing them, they, there are some provisions for faster sealing under the statute. And then we have, uh, there's one other bill that's just pending to correct some clerical errors in the statute, but I, I'm not gonna get into the details of that because I wanna leave you some time to answer questions. And I want to thank you on behalf of GBLS in particular and the communities we serve for doing pro bono and helping us. This is a picture of uh, when, when we used to have walk-in clinics before COVID, um, people came to the BMC Central on the first Wednesday of the month and helped us seal cases. So thank you. So do we have any questions? Um, so just in the chat, there's a question about if the petition is allowed, will police records also be sealed or is that a separate process? So when, you're, when you seal a record, what's sealed is the record to most employers in Massachusetts, the police record is gonna remain accessible to all um, law enforcement and law enforcement divisions. And so if you want, the only way to get rid to seal or get rid of a police record is to have that um, charge expunged, which is a separate process. It's not sealing. I think that's the only question I see, but if people have others, they want to add it to the, oh, actually I see some more, hold on. There are two questions in the Q&A. Yeah, I see that now. Okay. Um, let me back up, it says, yeah, so the first one I see from an anonymous attendee is if, um, someone has a sale conviction and then they commit a second crime of the same type if the criminal statute governing the crime to permit a harsher sentence for subsequent convictions. Um, and yes, the court will know of any sealed records. And for purposes of sentencing, they are allowed to access sealed records. However, if someone just has a new charge they're being arraigned on, the, the court can just see that there are records sealed and don't, doesn't have like general access to those sealed records when they are arraigned on a new charge. Um, the next question, um, seems like judges have a lot of discretion in terms of whether sealing should be allowed how often do these positions get denied because the judge doesn't think the petitioner has a good reason? Um, so I would say I can just give like estimates because we don't keep um, data on exactly how many we win or lose. However, I would say 85% of the time when we represent clients in court that we are successful. And many times clients are also successful pro se because we are not able to go to all the district courts in Massachusetts. 
And that's because, you know, we help them with the paperwork and to prepare an appropriate affidavit outlining exactly the reasons they meet the good standard. Um, and if, you know, a judge just denies it and it seems as if they didn't really state a reason or they didn't pay attention to the facts, I would definitely recommend doing a motion to reconsider and outlining all the reasons why they meet the standard. And, and you know, that has been successful for me, for some judges. And uh, it really makes a difference, I think, if somebody has a lawyer, if, if, because, if, um, it, you know, unfortunately, there is a range of personalities and philosophies. Um, and even, but we've got great case law in terms of Commonwealth versus Pond. So if you're handling a case and you lose, you should really give us a call because, um, you know, you, you, you can think about appealing it. Um, and particularly with the expungements, because it's a little like the Wild West out there in terms of, I, I hear stories from all over the place, which is why we chose to get, uh, to ask for direct appellate review with the, the simple case. I was thought marijuana expungements would be a no-brainer. And initially, when we first got the statute, we just were winning all of them. And then uh, we found it wasn't the case with everybody. And some judges just don't like expungement. And I should mention, um, there is, um, there's also another uh, case which is making its way through the appeals court. And that had to actually do with um, identity fraud. And it was the same judge who denied uh, sealing to our client uh, for his decriminalized, old, they were like 15-year-old marijuana charges from when he was in his 20s, um, also denied um, the expungement. So that one's going to be making its way. Um, they're going to be, uh, it's Anderson Krieger is a, the firm, it's um, Xavier Lawrence um, is involved in the case, and, and Sam Dining, who uh, recently left the firm also was involved. So they're, they've, they have filed a brief, uh, uh, GBLS and some other groups um, were actually going to file an amicus brief and we think they'll be applying for direct review by the SJC. So we'll get some clarification on when it's in the best interest of justice to expunge. But with the, with the ceiling cases, we, we actually have a really, if you, if you read the Commonwealth versus Pond case, it's really an excellent decision um, so it's, it's, it's really a low standard. It's good cause that you have to establish and you have to show there's some factors. So, um, for the most part, if, if you've got a really great case, you should think about potentially appealing it or at least refiling it. You just don't want to do nothing. You know, if you do lose a case, though, we have some instances where, uh, in fact, my, we have a law student working with us who just asked me the question today. He goes, well, this is relatively recent should we the dismissal was was relatively recent should we be asking for a hearing um, because the case ended favorably pretty much we'll look at somebody's record but if somebody comes in the office and you know they've applied it for at, to 10 places and they've been denied specifically because of their record or um, they have a section 8 certificate um, and maybe they're looking for housing and you know you got to remember with with also criminal record checks there's the criminal record checks through department of criminal justice information services um and for low level um requesters like mcdonald's or just a private landlord 
you know, the dismissed case isn't going to show up, but if they did a private background check and paid one of those companies to go to the actual courthouse, it means if they go to the courthouses, they're going to find out that there was a dismissed case and maybe it was for drug dealing or something negative or assault and battery, something that carries a stigma. So the smarter thing is obviously going is, is to steal the record, um, but we should, we should be zealous know, in our recommendation, in our representation, particularly with sealing because the body of law is, 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 is really good in terms of the, the, the factors and the criteria. And then we can always just refile them. So, um, but if you, if you're, if you're filing, for example, in a little courthouse, there's only two judges who sit there, you know, you may, you know, consider appealing, but you may uh, just refile, um, but with more time, um, the judge may then seal it at a later point because I've had judges deny it. I wait a bit and I refile it, um, and then the person is successful. Um, but on the other hand, I wouldn't be shy about if somebody really needs this because you know they have an opportunity. Let's say they just finished a training program; they've got a great opportunity to get a job. Um, then. It's worth a shot because the worst that's going to happen is you get denied and then you can refile, um, you know, at a later point in time, but you're, you're not going to be worse off because of it. Uh, on the other hand, there are certain instances uh, sometimes, I know we've, we've had uh, clients who, particularly with um, domestic violence cases, if you look at your client's quarry and it's one after another um, of, of just assault and battery cases, um, and there's a recent one, and there are outstanding two and nine A's. Um, those probably could use a good wait before filing. So if it just got dismissed last week, and there's this long history, um, particularly in terms of um, getting adverse decisions, I'd say that the, the domestic violence cases are probably the hardest ones to seal. Anything involving interpersonal violence or serious violence against someone. Whereas things like shoplifting, you know, these are poverty crimes. A lot of people with substance use issues uh, may pick up a lot of larceny cases. So uh, in general, when you interview the client, you, you, you'll get a sense of what's going on and what the history is. And then, uh, but don't be shy about asking people to get support letters because a lot of folks have, have jumped through a lot of hoops, even through um, getting off probation. Maybe they had to complete programs, so they have all kinds of certificates which which could be used that could be helpful. Okay, so there are more questions. Uh, one of which is if a client has a sealed record but is now eligible for expungement under Section 100F through H, do you need to move to unseal the records or can you simply send the petition to expunge to the Commissioner of Probation's office? So you will need to move to unseal the records before you send the petition to expunge and before you have the hearing. So that is like an extra step you do have to take. Um, do you have anything to add to that, Pauline, before I move on? Um, well, it's, it's, it's an interesting question. If you're, if, you're, um, if you're doing it under Section 100K, um, I know sometimes what I've done is I, um, I've actually 
filed the expungement petition. I think one, I actually filed a motion to unseal it because um, I think we had sealed all of the charges under Section 100C through a court hearing. Um, and then the law changed. So then I was going in. So I filed a, a motion to, to unseal it along with the expungement petition right at the courthouse. Uh, I'm not sure technically whether if it's sealed, um, but what the, the practical problem and the reason why we unseal records is the court isn't permitted to um, look at the, the, what happens is when you seal a record, they take the, the particular files and they segregate them and they're put in a big envelope that's got a, it's actually physically sealed um, so, that, so that they can't look at it. And they don't have permission, obviously, to, to look at the contents um, until you unseal it. So you're going to have to deal with it at some point in time. Um, I know um, Ventura had, 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 with, with a, a case had uh, specified exactly which charges she wanted unsealed. Um, so and sent the, the, the request with the client's signature to the commissioner of probation. So they unseal the three charges, whereas the, the person's uh, voluminous record of other things remain sealed. So that wasn't an issue. Uh, but I don't, I don't think they've been, I think I've, I've seen some cases on, I don't know that they've been rejecting them per se. Um, if you're using that section, you know, 100 um, F, G and H, but as a practical matter, if, if you're gonna have a hearing, um, you're gonna need, need to deal with it at some point in time um, because the court <laughs> needs to look at the file. Okay, so another question is, just to be clear, aside from BMC district courts, will not consolidate sealing district court cases from a different district court. Yes, that is correct. The only consolidation that is allowed as of right now um, because of a standing order is through the Boston Municipal Courts and those eight divisions. Um, and then um, the next question is just, is there any advantages to filing to seal in a hearing versus through probation? Yes, so the main advantage to that is that you do not have to have a waiting period when you're sealing dismissed charges in a court hearing. Um, to seal through probation, it's just, you meet the waiting period, the Commission of Probation's Office will seal that record. When you're attempting to seal dismissed charges in court, you're not subject to wait any period of time. It's just a matter of you successfully sealing during that hearing. Um, and a related question I saw earlier, but I didn't think it answered is, what would an opponent argue as a basis to oppose sailing? What legal grounds exist to oppose sailing? So the legal ground that exists is simply not meeting the legal standard, which is good cause that the client has a credible disadvantage now or foreseeable disadvantage in the future. And so many times what that may sound like in court is a district attorney may argue that this particular charge is violent in nature. And so um, violent in nature, or it's too recent. And so the client may um, not have experienced disadvantages yet. However, I mean, the clear rebuttal to that is that 
the standard is for present and foreseeable disadvantages. And also some I hear is just besides recencies, the nature of the offense. Um, and sometimes they would just say, I'm just objecting and won't state anything. And so <laughs> it runs the gamut, but as long most clients will meet the legal standard and the um, best way to deal with those types of objections is to just reiterate why the client meets those standards and what the standard is. And the standard is not, um, you know, the older standard that we changed. And it's really just a matter of do, does this client have these specific disadvantages? Uh, one thing I'd add in terms of the distinction between um, using the administrative process versus using the court process. I mean, you may have a client that you speak to, um, and particularly now that, uh, for example, um, in Dorchester, where you've got to go to court physically, um, the, the client, uh, if they're not in a hurry, they can just send it in, and it'll, you know, it'll, it'll take at least 90 days to process it. But if they're not in a rush, then I would I would use that mechanism as opposed to having a hearing. On the other hand, if somebody um, you know just had a, a job interview and they're you know that they have a, a you know they they are on the brink of, of, of getting a great job offer, you may want to go in as soon as possible um, and, and deal with that case if you can, even though it's a dismissal, particularly if it's an employer that it has access to, um, to, to dismiss cases. For example, if somebody works um, at a, is applying for a job at a school, they have a level of access where they do, just don't get convictions and open cases. They're also going to get dismissed cases. So in that instance, you'd wanna you know, do, do the ceiling as soon as possible. So um, depending on what's going on, you, you could wait, um, you know, do it a later time or do it more, do it more quickly. Um, I think somebody else asked, I don't understand why identity fraud can be expunged when all the other reasons under section 100 K's are miscarriages of justice. The statute doesn't actually say miscarriages of justice. Um, it outlines the various um, grounds, but, but uh, you know, and I, I think um, maybe, I, I think, and I think you also, uh, Pia also noted that maybe the term identity fraud is a, is a misnomer because what it is, it's not that the person committed identity fraud. They were a victim of identity fraud. So it, it meant that somebody misused um, their identity. So um, that, that's which, which is a which is a big difference, which which I think if, if um, I, I categorize them all as various types of miscarriages of justice, because it's usually an instance, if you look at 100K, where somebody didn't do the crime or it's no longer a crime if it's been decriminalized. Um, and, you know, like they got the wrong person, um, the complaint issued against you and you're the wrong John Doe, or you have other, you have some other uh, instance. Um, and like I said, the, the, the law is going to develop on what's in the best interest of justice, but in terms of in terms of Section 100C sealing, uh, the statute says they can seal it when it basically uh, furthers substantial justice. And then in, in Commonwealth versus Pawn, the, the SJC set out the various factors and the considerations. Um, but it's, it's a lot of common sense is going to apply. If you, again, if you have somebody 
who the, the DA's office is going to characterize as a serial abuser. And, you know, yesterday they had another restraining order enter against them. That's going to that's going to heavily weigh against sealing of any records that have to do with assault and battery charges. Um, I, I had an instance once where a judge um, sealed larceny charges and motor vehicle charges, but did not seal the assault and battery charges. So sometimes you get some of what um, the client wants and needs, and other times, uh, you know, you, you may not be successful, but it, it's going to be very individualized. And, uh, and sometimes, frankly, with the DA's office, it depends how busy they were in the courtroom that day. If they're very overwhelmed, they may not be paying attention to the sealing cases. And other times you'll get somebody and they will vigorously oppose, um, you know, the, the, the sealing of the offense. I'm just trying to look at the list. I think we covered everything, Ventura, did we? Let's see, any other questions? Yeah, I think we covered all the questions that were asked. Um, so if we wanna wrap up. Shane? Yep, right here. Um, so again, thank you very much everyone for joining us today. Um, we will be sending out um, the slides as well as some additional materials um, for after the end of the program. Um, in addition, we'll be sending out um, the link to sign up to volunteer for the Cori Sealing Clinic, um, if you do so choose. Um, again, all that will be sent right after um, the presentation, if not by tomorrow. Again, thank you all for joining us and have a good evening.